This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Several areas of life, and we all know this, that as followers of Jesus, we don't follow Jesus. There are those areas where Scripture speaks to some area of life, and and we tend to decide often, you've done it in your life, I've done it in my life, hey, I know what God says, but that was thousands of years ago. I know what God says, but my circumstances are different. I know what the Word of God says, but I don't think it applies in my situation. I know what the Word of God says, but there are different interpretations when it comes to that. There are all these areas that, that we tend to decide either, for many of us, we think we know better than God, or often we're just ignorant about what the Bible teaches in a particular area. And I don't mean ignorant in a disrespectful way. There are things I'm ignorant about. I mean ignorant in the sense of we just don't know. We're unaware, especially if you're new to faith, if you're a new Christ follower, you've just started studying your Bible. Maybe you've been a Christ follower a long time, but daily Bible study and really digging into the Word of God has not been a practice in your life, and there are just some things that you're unaware of that you just don't know. Today, we're going to take a look at what the Bible teaches about intimacy and sex. And there are a couple of reasons we're doing this. We're in a series called Growing Together, talking about marriage, and I I think it's an important part and component of the marriage relationship. And if it's something that the Word of God speaks to, I think it's something we need to address. And we live, we live in a culture that's talking a lot right now about sexuality, about gender, about issues that the church, frankly, has been silent about. And so I think it's important for us to at least understand what Scripture teaches. But let me say this. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. There are some things that we're going to look at and talk about, and you're not going to like some of it. And some of you, you've already decided some of what we're going to talk about in your practice and how you live. You've already decided this is just not for you. And while you don't want to live maybe what the Bible teaches about intimacy and sex, you do want your daughter to live that way. And while you don't want to maybe live what the Bible teaches about intimacy and sex, if you're married, you do want your spouse to live that way. It's interesting. We want people that we love to be faithful. We want people we love to be honest. We want people we care about to do the right thing. We want people that we care about to be protected. We want people we love to be blessed by God and in a position where they're blessable because they're obeying God. But often we give ourselves an out because we have excuses. Six months from now, if you're married, in your marriage, six months from now, you're going to have six months of results or six months of excuses. And I've never seen anybody build the life they really want on a pile of excuses. And so for some this morning, you're going to be confronted with some truth and some things you need to process. And let me just give you a gauge that you can measure by. As we talk about what the Word of God says and we look at this subject, if there are areas where you get really angry, that's not my problem, it's yours. That that is an indicator that this is an area you might need to look into. Let me say this as well. As we talk about this, if you disagree with what I say, I'm not mad at you. If you have a different opinion than I do, I don't hate you. 
I believe I'm right. You believe you're right. I'm going to do the best I can. Listen, listen, listen. My goal today is not to be provocative. I'm not trying to talk about something to get a reaction. I'm not diving into a subject that's like, oh, what's he going to say? That's not my goal at all. I I don't want to cross any lines today. I do want to dance vigorously on the line. I don't want to go beyond what I should. I've asked God and I've been praying, and please pray for me as we're talking. I want to do this in an honest but a, a tasteful and a respectful way. But I believe we need to understand, especially in our culture, we need to understand what the Word of God says about such an important issue that is addressed over and over again throughout the pages of Scripture. We need to understand as parents and grandparents how to invest in and teach and raise our kids. We need to understand as young people how to shape our worldview and what we believe and and live our lives built and based on that. But let me say just a word before we dive in to those of you that are single. Because a lot of the message today is pointed at people who are married. I get that. And we're talking about intimacy in marriage, and I understand that. And for some of you, you might be thinking, okay, I'm single. Is this kind of a, a time-release capsule where it's going to benefit me later? But right now, yeah, it's going it's to benefit you later. But here's the reality. The deepest form of intimacy is not physical, it's emotional. And all of us develop an intimacy with, with close friends. Or if you're dating someone and you're thinking about marriage in your future, and by the way, you should never date someone that you would never consider marrying. That's called, in the Greek, the word for that is stupid. So you don't want to, you, you should never date somebody that you wouldn't consider marrying. And in that, you're building intimacy. And intimacy in the context of marriage involves sex, but it's so much deeper and so much more than just sex. We have to also understand that every area in life, every area where God says this is the best way to live, we have to understand that we have an enemy. His name is Satan. And he will always offer a counterfeit to what God offers. And if we're not careful, we will buy into the counterfeit thinking that the life we want is found there and the results we want are found there and we're going to have fun and enjoy this more and it is always untrue. And so you have to decide. And you get to decide for you. Do I want to handle intimacy and my sexuality in a way that honors God and I'm obeying God, or do I want to do it my way? When it comes to sex, there are three different perspectives. And by the way, as I dive into this, I also want you to understand something else. I have tried to research and pull together a lot of different information to be as helpful as I can this morning. Uh, People like Caroline Leaf, who is a psychologist, incredible Biblical scholar, also psychologist, people like Craig Rochelle, Mark Driscoll has a brand new marriage, a brand new book on romance and marriage and sex. Uh, I, I've talked to my bride. I, I've talked to some ladies in the life of C3 that are Christ followers because I don't want to just give you a, a man's perspective. And so I want you to understand as I dive into this, I've tried to, to very honestly pull together what I believe are the best resources. And, and so if there are things in this message that you like a lot, you're welcome. If there are things you don't, it's all their fault. So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. A lot of this, much of this is pulled from some incredible resources. Three different perspectives on sex, on how we view sex. Some people view sex as God. Some people view sex as gross. And some people view sex 
as a gift. There are those who view sex as God. They build their lives around it. They think about it. That's the pursuit each day, each week. Who they date or in marriage. Everything rises and falls on my sex life and, and how that's going. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, we have to remember all the Word of God is the Word of God from God. It's a living Word. As I read it, it has the ability, the only book ever written, to read me. It's a living Word and, and to speak to my life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So don't worship false gods as some of them did. As Scripture says, the people sat down to a feast which turned into an orgy. We shouldn't sin sexually as some of them did. 23,000 of them died on one day. Sometimes we read passages in the Old Testament and we think, man, God was an angry God. This is New Testament. Somehow, how we handle our sexuality, how we function in that way is a big deal. A big deal to God. They, they, they attend an orgy. God pronounces judgment and 23,000 die in one day. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead. If God did that today, no traffic. Like the way we handle our morality, our sexuality, you'd have the laying all to yourself. Like it would wipe out so many people. But the Bible teaches us here and in other places that there is a connection. And man, as Christ followers, it's important that we understand this. There is a connection with our sexuality and our spirituality. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, Throughout the pages of Scripture and throughout history since, culture is constantly enticing and pushing towards sexual sin. And so now we live in a culture attempting to redefine sex, redefine marriage, redefine gender, redefine how we live, and push us to live life differently than God created it. And our enemy is offering a lot of counterfeit options that are now being pushed on us is how we need to live and what we need to do. And even if you don't want to live that way, we're being pushed in a direction in an intolerable way of just accepting what everybody and anybody wants. It is not loving to enable people and encourage people to live in a way that God says is sin. It is not compassionate to applaud and cheer for what God says ultimately is harmful. Now, you have to decide for yourself what you believe about what God says. But it's right there, black and red ink on white paper. You don't have to dig far to understand what God says about this topic. In Romans chapter 1, Paul speaks to us about a culture where sex is out of control, gender and gender roles that are totally confused, people living out of control. And the days of the Roman Empire are eerily similar to our culture today because we who are the created have forgotten or ignored that there is a creator. And as the created, we have decided that we will create life in a better way. So we elevate ourselves and we elevate our opinions and we don't even consider honoring or obeying the Creator because that's outdated or old thinking or doesn't work. 
When you don't worship the creator, you worship the created. And Romans chapter 12 reminds us that you worship whatever you offer your body to as a living sacrifice. And sacrifice is not just putting something to death. Sacrifice can also be sacrificing your conscience, sacrificing your marriage, sacrificing your health, sacrificing your future, your best future for someone or something else. What you sacrifice for is what you worship. And everybody worships. We happen to live in a culture where sex is now a religion. It's the worship of the created sex and pleasure, not the creator. We have taken something that is good and, and precious and created by God and moved it from a helpful and enjoyable place to a harmful and damaging place. Angie and I were in our home in Texas last week, and there were a couple nights that it got cold. I mean, <laughs> ever since we moved to Florida, we moved to Florida in 1998, and I have fully acclimated to this climate. So if it gets below 60 degrees, I'm freezing. Like, it's time to turn up the heat, grab the thick coat. Like, I, I, I can't deal with cold weather. And it got in the low 30s in Texas. And one of the things I love about our home there, it has a real fireplace, like a brick fireplace. It doesn't have those fake metal panels inside where it looks like brick, but it's not. It, it's, you can put, like, seven or eight logs in that fireplace and light that thing, and it is incredible. It's almost like a bonfire in the house. I love a fire. I love the look of it. I love the warmth of it. It is relaxing to me. I love a fire. But a fire built anywhere other than in the fireplace is destructive. If Angie would have walked into the family room at our place in Texas and I'm building that fire and getting it ready and I'm doing it on the couch instead of in the fireplace, she would have called the popo. They would have put me in a jacket, tied it where I couldn't move my arms, and put me in a room with padded walls. I mean, you don't. Who builds a fire on a couch? A fire is to be warm. A fire is to benefit us. A fire is beautiful to look at in the right place. You take it out of the right place, and you're going to burn the house down. We call that America. Because we've taken what God intended to be beautiful and passionate and incredible and a gift in our lives. And we're trying to light it in other places. And here's the thing about a fire on a couch. For a minute, it's beautiful. For a minute, it provides warmth. Destruction doesn't happen immediately. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season and then the judgment. The passion and pleasure of sex, according to God, like God's opinion, the one whose idea it was, is to be in the fireplace of marriage. So some people view sex as God. It has really replaced God. Is that you? Is sex too important to you? Are you addicted? Do you have it in a place and function in a way that ultimately it's going to burn something down in your life that is precious? I found out through research that now one in four men in America, one in four men in America, 35 years old and younger, struggle with erectile dysfunction as a result of watching too much porn. When you watch porn and you consume porn, over time it will desensitize you. It desensitizes not only your anatomy, 
especially if you're watching porn and you're masturbating, over time, and, and that's true for men or women, over time, it will change the composition of your brain. I talked to a doctor about a month ago who said, I see so many people, so many, she was talking about mainly guys, in their early 20s who have a hard time having an erection. And it is a direct result scientifically, often because of how much porn we watch. But I thought, I thought we were told you can watch porn and you're not really hurting anybody. Not to mention the sex trafficking and what happens and the horrible things that are done to women in that process. See, we've bought into a lie where we think we can worship God with our hearts and do whatever we want with our bodies, but God says you can't. And there are consequences and there are results to the things that we're doing. Some people see sex as God. Other people see sex as gross. If you grew up in church, there's a good chance this is you, especially if you're a lady. You are likely led to think this way. Because in church, often when it comes to the issue of sex, we're told, don't do it, don't do it, it's bad, don't do it, don't do it, it's bad, you're married, do it. And and you have a history of being told, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. Titus chapter 1 verse 5 says this, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. See, we've got to understand things, things are not clean or dirty. People are. If you're obeying God in your life and how you function, not just in the area of your sexuality or intimacy, any area of life, if you're obeying God, it's pure. If you're not, it's not pure. The question is simply, are you obeying God or are you disobeying God? And as Christ followers, there's something about the belief system and the church has had a huge responsibility and in teaching us this and in pushing us in this direction, as Christ followers, we struggle to see anything pleasurable as really good. We think almost if it, if it feels too good or you're having too much fun, then it's got to be wrong. And people say things like that. I think for a couple of reasons, there are a couple of people or a couple of groups of people that really struggle with seeing sex as a gift from God and, and, and because of that view sex as gross. A couple, couple of groups of people. The first group, is sinners, which is all of us, me, you, all of us. Those of us who've done things we should not have done and feel bad that we didn't do things the way the Bible teaches. And so we live with kind of a guilt and a shame, and then we bring that into marriage, and we still carry the guilt and the shame, feeling bad about a past we cannot go back to. And because of that, it's very easy to view sex as as gross or something that should be avoided. But the reality is you don't have to live with guilt and shame. You, you can give that to Jesus, the one who forgives and restores. You don't have to carry that into your future. And some of you, some of you wrestle with this because, and you view sex as gross because you were sexually abused. And I want you to understand, that's not your fault. Just because someone else did something to you that was bad doesn't mean you're bad. It does mean you have some things to work through that are unfair and you shouldn't have to. But you can find freedom and go through a process of healing from that. Another reason that as Christ followers we wrestle with this and often view sex as gross 
is either not enough or incorrect biblical teaching. There are too many areas in the life of the church where the church tells us what God is against, but rarely what God is for. I grew up in a church in a day when churches weren't preparing children, they were scaring children. Sex is dirty. Sex is wrong. Sex is horrible. Save it for the one you marry. Seriously? And somehow when you get married, you're supposed to just flip a switch. But you've had this ingrained in you. It's wrong. It's dirty. It's horrible. Don't do it. Now you're married, it's okay because you're supposed to, but don't enjoy it too much. Some see sex as gross. Some see sex as God. Either one of those perspectives will lead to a life of less than God intended for you to live. The biblical perspective, I think God's perspective, is that sex is a gift. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam, the man, and his wife, Eve, were both naked. If you're from Texas, it's naked. They were both naked and felt no shame. This has been called God's divine design, God's plan for marriage. And we get very bit out of shape sometimes in the church about how culture defines marriage. I'm not overly concerned because only God gets to define marriage. And He's laid it out in Scripture. And for some of you, I'm about to blow your mind, especially if you're a product like I am of public school. I'm about to blow your mind. God made us male and female. Two genders, that's it. Only two. And we live in a culture where we press into, oh, but I feel. If you build your life chasing your feelings, even your deepest feelings, you will be on a roller coaster to hell because it will not provide what you're looking for. We're applauding people pursuing what they're feeling, but what they feel changes over time. We're now allowing children to be mutilated under the guise of, Oh, but we need to be loving and caring. If my kids, when they were little, asked to play with a loaded gun, the answer is no. I don't care how much they feel like they want to. Because I'm responsible to bring a mature perspective, and I'm responsible as a parent to love you enough to be willing to have an awkward conversation and risk you not liking me because I love you so much. And if you're not offended yet, we're only halfway done. Marriage is, according to the Bible, according to the Bible, like if you don't like it, take it up with God. According to the Bible, you will not find one place in Scripture where Jesus endorses any kind of marriage other than a man and a woman. You you won't find it. Marriage is for one man, one woman, in a covenant relationship for life. The goal of marriage is intimacy and oneness according to how God designed it. One last name, sleep in one bed, worship one God, cheer for one team, the Cowboys, live one life. I mean, that's how God intended, most of that is how God intended it. In God's creation, the idea of marriage is one man and one woman, and their standard for beauty is their spouse. Sir, your standard for beauty is not what you see in a magazine online or on TV or on a billboard. Your standard for beauty is your bride. Ma'am, your standard for beauty is not what you see somewhere else, the guy at work or people that you know down the street or online or in a magazine. Your standard for beauty is your spouse. 
I, I just filtered something I said in this head, and I'm so proud of myself I didn't say it. That's what marriage is. That's marriage. See, here's why God designed marital intimacy. God designed marital intimacy. And by the way, the only way to fully achieve sexual intimacy is by God's design. God designed marital intimacy for, first of all, pleasure. The Song of Solomon is the only book in all the Bible written exclusively about marriage, and it does not mention children. But it talks about a lot of pleasure sexually in the marriage relationship. Some of you, you've never read your Bible. Some of you men, I don't, I don't like reading the Bible. Read Song of Solomon. You'll wake up. Pleasure is a part of it. See, in the church, we've, we thought, oh, well, you're not supposed to have too much fun and, and sex. Even some churches teach this. Sex is just for procreation. Don't enjoy it too much. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God designed sex for pleasure. There is a reason, scientifically, that women have a greater sex drive in their 40s and 50s than they do in their 20s and 30s. Because it's not just for having kids. It's it's for pleasure. And if, and if, if, if you have kids in your 40s and 50s, God bless you. We will pray for you. But there's a reason. Number two, children. God designed marital intimacy for children, Genesis 1.28. Number three, oneness, Genesis 2.24. Number four, knowledge, Genesis 4.1. To know someone on the deepest possible level often happens in the marriage relationship. Number five, protection, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Number six, comfort, 2 Samuel 12. And all six of those categories can only be found First, in our relationship with Jesus, but in human relationships, in marriage, in the context of marriage. Now, if you're single, you say, well, man, I'm left out. No, no, no. First, in our relationship with Jesus. One of my concerns with people that are single, especially as they get older, is your pursuit becomes marriage more than Jesus. If you're miserable being single, the only thing more miserable is to be with the wrong person. And you can make a jump into something because you think it's going to fix what you're searching for. What you're searching for is Jesus. And for some people, the Bible even says God gives the gift of singleness. But if, if, if there's something in you that craves being married and wants to be married, you, you probably don't have that gift. But as a single person, you're not less than. Let me remind you, we worship a guy who was single. Don't pursue something other than Jesus and let God bring into your life in his time who you're supposed to be with. One of the simplest statements in all the world, but one of the most profound to me, it matters who you marry. Dear God in heaven, it matters who you marry. The second most important decision in all of your life, the first one is to give your life to Jesus. The second, if you're getting married, it matters who you marry. As I mentioned, the Song of Solomon is the only book of the Bible just about marriage. It was written 3,000 years ago in a conservative Jewish environment, and it's a series of love poems and love songs. Song of Solomon, you, you, you might not have ever heard of it or, or read the verses. You don't hear a lot of it in church. Let, let me just give you two or three verses that we can just kind of process together in a really awkward way. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Say that. It is believed by many biblical scholars, based on the language and how the word his fruit is used, how that phrase is used in context, it's speaking of oral sex. 
It gets, good, it gets gooder. Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 16. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden. That its fragrance may spread everywhere. I thought this was going to be awkward, but it's so fun seeing your faces. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 5. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. I don't know about fawns and gazelles, but at breasts, you had me. Like, (laughs) God has no problem. Because remember Adam and Eve in the garden before sin, they were naked and not ashamed. Why have we taken something that is a gift from God and made it to be something that is shameful or something we wouldn't talk about? And I hear people, oh, you shouldn't talk about that in the church. Well, the Bible says we're to teach the whole counsel of the Word of God. And in a culture that is screaming its opinion, if the church is silent, we remain biblically ignorant and live less than lives. We have to address this stuff and understand what the biblical perspective is. So let me give you some ways to implement intimacy in your marriage, if you're married. In the future, if you get married in the future, ways to implement intimacy in your marriage. First one, intimacy starts in the mind before it starts in the body. Intimacy starts in the mind before it starts in the body. It's an issue of focus. It's an issue of perspective. It's a decision to point the focus of your intimacy on your spouse. Because too much of our focus in intimacy is on how she can pleasure me. Or ma'am, on how he can... The the focus, you want to talk about a marriage that has an incredible sex life, you take a husband and a wife who each of them, their primary goal is to please the other one sexually, you have to quit your job. But did you know according to Psychology Today and according to Marriage.com and according to a lot of research that is only now coming out, the greatest robber of intimacy in a marriage Now what I'm about to say, the people who need to hear it the most won't. And the more defensive you are with what I'm about to say, the more problem you have. I just love you enough to tell you. And if you're mad at me, I'm fine. You you can send me a note. We have an incredible delete ministry. It's awesome. Everything about this is built to draw us in more. I'm not anti-phone. I'm not a pastor that's about to go off on, oh, you shouldn't have a phone. No, I've got a phone. Incredible apps. We, we can do our banking on this. We can find directions on this. I mean, in- incredible. But what the research is showing is that more and more people are drawn into this than their relationships. And so the more time you spend on your, hey, let me just ask you, could you live a week if you just didn't take your phone out? If you turned it off and put it up? In your home, See, what happens is when we get bored mentally, this becomes a go-to. And we have trained our brains, look at my phone, look at my phone, look at my phone. There's nothing to do. There's a moment of silence. Look at my phone. Awkward conversation. Look at my phone. Oh, she says something I don't like. Forget you. I'm going to watch something on Netflix. I'm checking out. And so we don't resolve conflict. We don't connect relations, relationally. We don't develop. Into, listen, intimacy is not something you achieve and then it's just there for life. You have to cultivate it. You have to feed it. You have to continue to pursue it. And that happens through building a connected relationship with your spouse. So 
If you want a great marriage, listen, use this, but don't let it use you. It is a tool, but don't let it become your focus. More and more families will sit in the family room and everybody looking at their own device, oh, we're spending time together. No, you're not. You may be present physically, but you are not present if you're not present mentally and emotionally. Did you know the greatest emotional intimacy, the greatest emotional connection comes, according to science, when we make eye contact? So is this, is the way you function with this benefiting or harming your marriage? Is your screen time higher than your spouse time? What's the first thing you grab in the morning, your honey or your phone? What does your mind go to in stress? And so now we avoid resolving conflict. We, we, we avoid, and, and we begin to live in silos separately because we spend more time investing in what we're watching than who we're spending time with. Intimacy starts in the mind before it starts in the body. Secondly, intimacy starts in the morning before it starts in the evening. Sir, sir, sir. <laughs> you can't walk in at dark 30 and be like, all right, baby. When you've ignored her all day, you didn't do any of the stuff you were supposed to do, she's been working her butt off at work and at home, and you think, okay, it's go time. No, sir, it's no time. Because when you treat your, your spouse like that, they, they don't feel loved, they feel used. The greatest physical intimacy comes from emotional and spiritual intimacy, and that happens when you love me all the time, not just at that time. It starts in the morning before it starts in the evening. Intimacy starts with your spouse before it starts with you. That means your goal is what can I do to please you? Sir, if the focus of sex in your life and marriage is what she can do for you and you're never concerned about pleasing her, you could be so much more of a man. Your focus is on pleasing your spouse. Christopher Reeves was Superman when I was a kid, all the Superman movies and he was in a horse riding accident and was paralyzed from the neck down. And he and his wife did an interview before he died where he talked and they talked together specifically about how they continued their sexual relationship. How do you do that? He's paralyzed from the neck down. Get creative. We're all called to be missionaries, but that's not the only position. And there are things you can do when you're creative. God, may, I told you, I told you, I warned you. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what the attendance is next Sunday. We are creative beings, and, and when you're into somebody and you want to be the one that helps them feel good and brings them pleasure, listen, intimacy starts with your spouse before it starts with you. Stop being so freaking selfish. Think about your spouse. Think about loving them in a way that honors them throughout the day. Also understand, the Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled, and what that means is anything goes between a husband and a wife as long as it's just between a husband and a wife, nobody else is brought into the equation, nothing else is brought, it's, it's a husband and a wife, you, you can go crazy, you can explore, you can be creative, 
you, you don't need to feel guilty about that, but also we need to understand something. We live in a world where a lot of people have been horrifically abused. And you may have a spouse who's dealt with some abuse, and because of that, certain acts sexually bring back a lot of pain. Your responsibility is to love your spouse in a way that's healing and to not go places that are uncomfortable for your spouse because then that becomes about you, not about them. If you're the one who's been abused, you don't have to live in that prison forever. You can experience freedom, and you need to get help. You need to talk to somebody that can help you walk through a healing process. And it may be a long process, but you can experience freedom. You don't have to live with guilt and shame over something you should not feel guilty about or should not be ashamed of because you didn't cause it. Sexual intimacy is a gift to be opened often by one person, and that's your spouse. No regifting. Opened often by one person. And true sexual intimacy only happens when there's spiritual intimacy. You can't share the deepest parts of yourself and explore the deepest parts of yourself without a oneness which ultimately only happens spiritually. That means you will never experience the level of intimacy that you could in life or in marriage. You will never experience the level of sexual relationship you could have with your spouse unless you know Jesus in a personal way. Because there is a spiritual component throughout the pages of Scripture. These two things, sexuality and spiritually, chase each other throughout the pages of Scripture. They are connected. And you only get an A plus in your sex life, in your marriage. You only get an A plus when you're making Fs, fun and frequent. According to the Word of God, the Bible says you should not withhold from your spouse. Listen, listen. The Bible says... <laughs> If I haven't offended you yet, here it comes. The, the, the Bible says that your body is not your own, it's your spouse's. And we need to bring more of a selfless perspective to sex. And we need to understand that it is needed by both men and women. And if there's an issue there, you need to get help and resolve it. Because if you don't, it will damage your relationship. Because this is the one relationship where it is part of the fabric of your relationship. And sexual intimacy is part of and what seals the covenant of marriage. It's supposed to be fun, and it's supposed to be frequent. And if it's not, you need to resolve that and get help. And ultimately, it will only be all that it could be if you know Jesus in a personal way. Now, that's true at every year of life. You'll never be the man you want to be. You'll never be the woman you want to be. You'll never be the husband or the wife. You'll never be the parent. You'll never be who you want to be in life, and you'll never live the life you were created to live unless you know Jesus in a personal way. And people who don't know Jesus will always put their preferred agenda over your best interest. So if you want not just a great sex life and marriage, if you want not just deep intimacy, if you want a great life, it begins with knowing Jesus, with giving your life to Jesus. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes all over the room. Maybe today you know, man, the greatest need of my life is to know God in a personal way. I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer, to invite Jesus to come into your life, to forgive your sin, to give you a home in heaven after this life. And listen, 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 
to give you His Spirit to live inside you, to help you navigate the most important issues of life. If you'd like to take that step today, I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. Just say, Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.